Just had a great conversation with the chair of the Democratic National Committee, Jamie Harrison. We'll continue talking politics for the rest of this hour now with our friend and brother, Dr. Michael K. Fontroy, who's professor and founding director of the Race, Politics, and Policy Center at George Mason University. Michael, Michael, how you living, brother? Doing very well, my friend. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours, man. Good to have you uh, back on this program. Um, so I just talked to Jamie Harrison, as you heard me say a moment ago, and I love Jamie. Uh, and yet I understand the box that Jamie's in because he is the chair of the Democratic Committee. So ain't with, ain't with so much he's going to give you, uh, so, uh, so much he can say on certain topics. So now I'm talking to you. Let me ask a couple of those same questions that I ask of Jamie uh, to you to get your take on it. Uh, and, uh, you can speak a, a different kind of truth as it were. So president Biden, as you know, is out West, uh, for a, a policy victory lap, if I can put it that way, trying to draw an implicit, uh, contrast between himself, of course, and, and, and Donald Trump, uh, the presumptive Republican nominee, which scares me to say that every time I say it, um, uh, we'll get to that later in this conversation. Uh, but I, I asked Jamie a moment ago, why he thinks the president, uh, isn't getting credit for the Bidenomics, as he would call it, uh, and so many other things he's done, frankly, quite successfully. But as you know, Michael, you teach this stuff every day. He's really not getting the credit. I asked Jamie, is it the message or the messenger? You know, he gave his answer. Let me ask you that same question. Why is Joe Biden not getting the credit for what he has accomplished? Well, let me start with some historical context. It is, it is my view, and it's largely accepted in political science, for example, for those of us who study the presidency that often presidents get too much credit and too much blame for whatever's going on in the economy. Uh-huh. The, the economic wheel turns slowly, and sometimes what a president does to impact the economy doesn't actually reveal itself until after that person has left office. And so sometimes you often find situations in which Republican presidents push through tax cuts, for example, that ends up hurting the economy, and then Democratic presidents have to come clean up the mess. And I think some of that's what we're seeing right now. Now, as for why President Biden isn't getting the credit for it, I think that there are lingering doubts about him and his viability next year. And I, I think because of that, he's not getting the credit across a range of things that mm-hmm. I think he's done pretty well. And, uh, and, and I will just tell you, you know, the, the generational age thing is front and center in that regard. And so I think there are some people that, that don't want to give him the credit, in part because they don't think he's actually doing the job, and obviously that's not correct. Yeah. Um, I asked him, secondly, about these third-party candidates running against him. There's Marion Williamson and Robert Kennedy Jr., who are running inside the Democratic Party apparatus against him. There's our friend and brother Cornell West running as chair of the uh, uh, running for uh, to be standard bearer of the Green Party. Uh, as I recall, I just thought about this. I, I think didn't I, didn't Cornell West and I come to your house one day and your kids met Dr. West? Um, one of my favorite pictures is of them sitting on your lap. With yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought I recall that. I've known yeah. Michael Fontroy for years. He lives, of course, in D.C. And one day, Dr. West and I were in town. Michael and I are both Kappas, uh, fraternity brothers. So I stopped by to see him. Dr. West was with me on this particular occasion. And so uh, the, the, the photo he references of, uh, of uh, his kids, he has a set of twins, in fact. Uh, yes. boy and girl sitting on Dr. West's lap in my lap. It's a great photo. Um, to that point, though, uh, Dr. West is now running, of course, for president, uh, again, on the on the Greeny Party ticket. And, and Jamie was nice in his comments about Dr. West. You ain't going to say nothing bad about the brother. But everybody from David Axelrod on down has been saying of late that the White House has to take, uh, Biden has to take this Cornell West uh, campaign seriously. If this brother takes flight, 
uh, and African-Americans are siphoned off and progressive voters are siphoned off. Um, Cornell West could end up being the Ralph Nader. I don't even want to talk about that or think about that. Uh, but again, you teach this stuff every day. Uh, when Axelrod says that, he got everybody's attention. How seriously do you think they need to take the, the candidacy of, say, Cornell West or for that matter, Robert Kennedy? Right, right. So, so I'm going to put it in a, a larger context okay. because I think Kennedy is a threat, and I think Doc, uh, Dr. West is a threat, uh, but for different reasons. Okay. So, you know, right now there is some real unease about President Biden, and so people who are on the left, in particular, or but Democrats more generally, are looking for viable options. Right. Mm-hmm. What happens if it turns out that Biden isn't the guy? And so, for some particularly those who are still angry at our larger political system, any alternative to the status quo is potentially attractive. Notwithstanding the fact, and you referenced Ralph Nader earlier, I think Al Gore is not president because of Ralph Nader. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you can make the case that Jill Stein hurt Hillary Clinton in 2016. And so if it turns out that there there is a a credible, legitimate, though uh, polling in the single digits alternative on the left, to Biden, that could be the difference in one or two states, and we know how close the Electoral College has been in recent elections. So Axelrod is right. These these sort of out of the mainstream but but legitimate viable candidates do need to be addressed uh, head on, and the longer they wait, the harder it'll be. The other part that uh, Jamie and I didn't talk about, I can talk about with you right quick, is that um, to your point of people looking for viable alternatives, part of what drives that in a uniquely different way this time around. And Jamie was right. No third-party candidates ever won for president. But that ain't what we're talking about. We're talking about whether or not Biden can pull this thing out if there's a third-party candidate uh, like Cornel West who starts to pick up votes. And what makes that, uh, I think, trickier this time than any, any time in, in, in history, uh, Michael Fontroy, is that nobody, the polling is clear, nobody wants to see a rematch between these two old white guys. Nobody wants that. And so I think that opens up a door, opens up a lane, if you will, that hasn't been present before. Does that make sense? Well, there's no question that nobody, you know, the polling is telling us that nobody really is excited about a rematch. But paint a scenario in which there won't be a rematch. Okay. Right? okay. I, I, you know, I think so. So Trump at this point on the Republican side, there's no, no polling leader in the history of polling who's been as up by as much as he has been six months before the primary start mm-hmm. that ends up losing the nomination. Okay. So, you know, so, so he's locked in. And the power of the incumbency is what's going to power uh, Biden to the Democratic nomination. So we, we, we have this. So the question becomes, how, how, if you're on the left, the question becomes, which states do we need to make sure we cannot lose uh, and, and, keep the, and keep the White House? And so that's how you begin to bring in uh, Cornell West. And by the way, Robert Kennedy Jr., in my view, is absolutely going to run on a third-party ticket if he doesn't get the nomination. Wow. So there could there could end up being two left alternatives, both potentially siphoning off a few votes here or there from Biden, which in key states could be the difference between victory and defeat. Yep. I'm not I'm not naive in asking this question that I want you to answer when we come forward. Let me just get it out there now. Um, what do you make of the fact that a thrice indicted individual? Uh, it will be four times later next week when Fannie Willis has her say in Fulton County in Georgia, and there are still one or two others still hanging out there. So he could be indicted five, six times. Who knows? Uh, by the time he gets to the Republican convention uh, and accepts the mantle as their uh, not just pre- presumptive, but in fact, uh, nominee. 
Uh, how is that even possible in this country that somebody indicted that many times could be the nominee for any major party? I've got my thoughts on that, but I want to hear what Michael, uh, Michael Fontra has to say about that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Sounds different, huh? This, this is Tavis Smiley. This is Tavis Smiley in conversation with Dr. Michael K. Fontroy, professor and founding director of the Race, Politics, and Policy Race Politics and Policy Center. Too many P's there, Michael, uh, at George Mason University, <laughs> uh, who I'm pleased to have back on this program. So um, I should mention right quick, in case you didn't hear me say at the top of the show today, the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, is our guest at the top of the third hour today. We all saw the video of that melee. Uh, there was some, uh, uh, some, there was some. Uh, uh, some assault charges levied yesterday against three or four white guys who started that nonsense. Um, so we'll talk to the mayor, Stephen Reed of uh, Montgomery, at the top of our third hour. We continue now with Michael Fontroy. Uh, Michael, you've, you've heard this. You've heard this audio already. Let me just play it first. This is Mitch McConnell uh, back in his home state of Kentucky at a town hall meeting. And this is what he heard from the good white folk staring at him. So that's what Mitch McConnell heard back in his home state of Kentucky. Hard to imagine that the minority leader, once the majority leader, would be facing that kind of uh, uh, pushback in his home state. But as I said to Jamie Harrison uh, a half hour or so ago, it's not just uh, Mitch McConnell on the right, uh, who the Democrats would love to get rid of, of course. Uh, he's been a, whatever you think of him, he's been a master manipulator of those arcane rules uh, in the city. Nobody better than him, frankly. Um, on the other side, you've got Diane Feinstein, who had another fall yesterday, was briefly hospitalized. She's back at home uh, in San Francisco, given that the Senate, of course, is on recess right now. But left and right, you got a bunch of old folk. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I say that uh, not derisively, but people who serve for so long that one continues to fall down and, and, and sometimes doesn't know exactly where she is. I'm not saying that to be mean. That's a fact. Sure. Mitch McConnell froze mid-sentence. And these are folk who are leaders in the U.S. Senate. What say you, Michael Fontroy? Well, listen, it's an argument in favor of term limits. You know, I, I for one, am philosophically opposed to term limits, but I understand why people would want to push for that. So every, every year, I teach, the pre, I teach an undergraduate course on the presidency every semester. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm always taken by the horrified look on my students' eyes when I start talking about age, because they don't realize how old some of their leaders are. Mm -hmm. And when I tell them, they are sort of like, wait a second, this person's older than my grandfather, and I wouldn't want my grandfather doing, doing a job like that. Mm -hmm. And so, so I, think, I think that... that that's a really real and salient sort of sub-rosa issue. I talked about it a moment ago with regard to President Biden. And, oh, by the way, Donald Trump is 77 years old. Yeah, too. he ain't that much younger. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so there's something to that. You know, you look at the House Democratic leadership in particular in, in, recent, in the recent past. You, you see folks that are, are up there. But at the same time, man, uh, the voters – if this is really an issue, need to pay more attention. Mm -hmm. Now, what the clip you just played with regard to McConnell, mm -hmm. that's, that, that to me is illogical uh, and is driven by the sort of MAGA Republican, not crazy enough for me, voter. Mm -hmm. Because to your point, McConnell 
like him or loathe him, is is masterful in his uh, manipulation of the U.S. Senate Mm -hmm. and has done more in that chamber than anybody in the last 40 or 50 years. Yeah. So if, if that's not good enough for you, then I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's the one that was able to uh, – uh, he, he manipulates so well. That's why Merrick Garland is attorney general and not a member of the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, McConnell played that thing uh, in such a way. I mean, it, all of us were, you know, just disappointed, um, to say the least, about it. Uh, it did not give President Obama the respect he deserved, but he manipulated those rules and did not give Merrick Garland that hearing. And that's why, again, he's A.G., and not a Supreme Court justice. I digress on that. Our remaining moments with Michael Fontroy when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Got about three minutes left in this conversation with Michael Fontroy of George Mason. Michael, let me close in these last three minutes with this. Uh, I want to talk uh, and get your take uh, on the importance of the black vote this time around. I'm thinking that Biden is not president without the black vote, as we all know, given what happened in South Carolina when he ran. Black women came to his rescue. Kamala Harris is still on the ticket. Uh, Cornel West is running for the for, for the uh, for the Green Party uh, uh, mantle. Uh, the South Carolina primary has been moved up on the calendar. I could go on and on and on uh, with with reasons why there's going to be a lot more attention focused on the black vote this time around. I ain't even saying the black vote because we're not monolithic, but you take my point. Your thoughts about the importance of that vote in this next election cycle? Well, assuming that President Biden is the nominee and that he's running against former President Trump. Uh, And given what we know about recent attempts to suppress the black vote, and oh, by the way, I'm finishing up a book on black voter suppression right now. Good. uh, I can assure you, I can absolutely assure you that come November of next year, uh, if Biden wins, it will be because it was a repeat of 2020 in terms of black political activity and participation. I think that uh, if Trump wins, it will be because they were successful in suppressing black votes. So it really is as fundamental as turnout. We often, it's cliche to refer to turnout as it pertains to elections, but that's just what it is. And black people and black organizations and people are interested in black uh, political justice need to be mindful that the work starts now mm. and continues through November of next year. Of course, we'll have you on when the book comes out, but but top line for me in the, in the last 90 seconds here, top line for me, uh, the voter suppression text that you're finishing up. Right. So uh, the book is called More Than Just Partisanship, uh, Black Voter Suppression in the Era of Trump. And essentially what I'm arguing is that we, we, mis- we mistakenly argue about partisan, uh, about suppression as partisan, and it's really ideological. Mm. If you show me, you show me ideological conservatism, and I'll show you efforts to suppress black votes. And so, uh, as we look at this immediate period following President Obama's election in 2008, from in the run-up to his uh, re-election in 2012, so from 2011 to 2016, we saw hundreds of new voter suppression bills being pushed through state legislatures across the country. And so I document and address some of that and use some states as case studies to lay out the, lay out the case. No, I look forward to uh, you coming back again when that book drops. There is no issue uh, that ought to be of more uh, greater concern uh, to black folk these days in the political realm than the issue of voter suppression. Um, everything starts with that, starts and ends, frankly. Uh, with that uh, uh, that right and our exercising that right and the to the extent that people continue to find uh, new ways to suppress that vote 
uh, makes a statement about America, a statement about democracy, and I'm glad that Michael is working on a book about it and look forward to having him on again when that book drops. For now, we thank the professor and founding director of the Race, Politics, and Policy Center at George Mason University, Dr. Michael K. Fontroy. Michael, good to have you on. We'll do it again. All the best to you, my friend. Likewise. Glad to have you on. Hour two of Tavis Smiley. When we come.